invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in your Bibles. Uh, I, I uh, had the privilege last week of being uh, sharing at a, a, a church in uh, southern Ohio. Uh, they have been asking me to come down and preach for some time, and I had the opportunity to, to share at a sister church, East Richland Friends. Most of you probably never heard of that, but it was a, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it and probably... Uh, kind of renewed some of my uh, southern twang so if you hear that coming out uh, you, you, you make sense that today but first Thessalonians chapter 5 the apostle Paul writes these words and I want to begin here with verse 9 would you hear the word of the Lord for us today this is what he says for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strives to do what is good for each other and everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. May God add his blessing to that beautiful word for us today you, you can be seated you know I, I i think as many of you notice you know gas gas just keeps going up in price and and every time i turn on the headlines it seems like they well they decided to, to cut you know barrel production another million and so we can expect that that oil and gas are continuing to go up and and there's you know you always kind of I, I find myself waiting a little bit longer before i before I, I want to fill the tank up. I'm hoping to get that point when maybe it'll go down. Maybe it'll be in the middle of the week. Maybe it'll be on Monday. But some point where, where the, but, but there comes that point when, of no return. You've got to fill up. You've got to, you've got to, to get some gas. Now, I don't want to just remind you of bad news this morning, but the reason I mention that is this. It's not only cars that have fuel tanks. I believe, in a sense, that people have them too. And you can read their gauges if you're careful and discerning because you can look in their eyes or you can watch them in the way they stand or even in the way that they walk. Now, there are some people in your life who fill your tank. Maybe you can think of a person like that right now. They just breathe life into you every time that you stand around them. They, they remind you how good God is. They call you to live at your best. And with your, when you're with them, anxiety goes down, hope goes up. They're just safe. Gregory of Nyssa was one of the early church fathers in the fourth century. He painted a beautiful picture of this way of living. This is what he wrote. We'll bring it up here on the screen. He said, at horse races, the spectators intent on victory shout to their favorites in the contest. From the balcony, they incite the rider to keener effort, urging the horses on while leaning forward and flailing in the air with their outstretched hand instead of a whip. Now, 
For an early church father, Gregory of Nisa spent an awful amount of time at the racetrack. I was kind of surprised. But, but uh, he takes this picture, this image, and he says, and, and I seem to be doing the same thing myself, most valued friend and brother. While you are competing admirably in the divine race, straining constantly for the prize of the heavenly calling, I exhort, urge, and encourage you vigorously. So it's from the balcony, Gregory says, I'm here up in the stands. I'm watching you, my friend, run this race, and I'm cheering you on with everything I've got. Keep running. Know that God is with you. Don't you dare stop. Don't you dare give up. You can do it, Gregory says. Now, there are some people in our lives who do that for us. They, they are the balcony people. They, they fill the tank. They keep you going and you just love them. But there are other people too, aren't there? And these people, when you're not looking, they kind of stick a hose in your tank, take a deep breath, and start siphoning out the joy. They, they suck the life out of you. We might call them basement people because they bring you down. A hunter... Uh, had a friend who just never was impressed or excited for him about anything. But one day, the hunter got a, a new hunting dog, and this dog was absolutely amazing. It could pick up scents miles away. It could point for an hour without moving. His friend, however, just seemed so unimpressed. Uh, and so the hunter took the, the dog out and shoots a duck, and it lands on the pond in the water. He sends the dog out to fetch it. Well, the dog actually walks on top of the water, fetches the duck, brings it back proudly, trots on top of the water as it comes. Well, the hunter is sure, come on, this is impressive to be sure. But instead, the friend shakes his head and says, your dog can't swim, can he? <laughs> Have you got anyone in your life like that? Don't point. That's not nice, okay? That's not what I'm talking about here. That's not helpful, okay? Don't go there. But, but, but boy, you know, there is probably someone, a name, an image that comes to our mind. There are certain people who bring joy when they enter the room and others who bring joy when they leave it. And we have some of those folks in our lives. People who are the joy challenge, dream squashing, fault finding, slow air leaks in the hot air balloon of our lives. And you know we're to love them. But if we're not careful, we can become them. And all of us have the potential, it seems to me, to be basement people for others. The reality is, because of sin, there's a basement person inside of every one of us. But I want you to hear this morning, that's not God's plan for you. This fall, I am really excited about some of the work that we are doing as we roll out a new discipleship plan and new opportunities for us as a church to grow with each other in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to call this Friends Alive because love. We, our mission is to love people to life 
in Jesus Christ. We want to do that together. And the premise behind this, and I'm not rolling all of this out today, but this is the, the basic understanding of where we're going. The church is not supposed to be a place where we come once a week and sit in a service, hear the preacher, and go home. Although that's what a lot of us in our culture have bought into. Because the church, as Jesus envisioned it, was about forming little Jesus communities that, that would do life together and study with one another and challenge one another and encourage one another. Everybody in this room is running the race of his or her life. And for, for each of us, we need other people, balcony people who look and say, I believe in you. You can do this. Encouragement, in fact, if you study it, is the language of the New Testament. That word encourage is used a hundred times in the New Testament. Now, I want to share with you a story, and I've shared this before, but I, I, it's just one of the most fascinating elements of the New Testament that you really have to do some research to put it all together in. But in Acts 4, verse 36, we meet a man named Joseph. I love this. Joseph, it says, a Levite of Cyprian birth who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is our introduction to Joseph. So Joseph's heart is so touched by what he sees happening in the church and, and by what the church can do and, and the gospel message itself, he catches a vision of what the church can be and he says, you know what, I've got some property. I could sell some of my stuff and help some others with, with, with that stuff. I could help the church in its ministry. And so what we have here is literally the first recorded donor in the church. You think of all the, the churches, all the universities, all the hospitals over the centuries, all the billions of dollars literally that have been given, and it started with this man, Joseph. He, he doesn't do it, by the way, to be a big shot. It says he, he put the money at the apostles' feet. And the idea is, listen, I trust you guys. You're going to know what to do with this. No strings attached. You don't have to build a building with my name on it. Just use it to, to bless people. Do ministry with it. And, and I tell you, on, uh, as, a, as a leader in the church, I'm telling you, there is encouragement when, when people give, when someone simply gives. And I, I want to just take a moment and encourage you all in that department this morning. Giving is something God's people do. As blessed people, one of our core values is, as blessed people, we want to give like God gives. And the reality is every one of us in this room has been blessed and we've been given so much. And so let me say it. If, if you don't give regularly, then something is not quite aligned in your heart with God's kingdom. And, 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 it, and, and it is because maybe you think, well, I don't think I could trust the church. I don't think I can trust those leaders to, to do that and bless people and do ministry. Then I would encourage you to find a church that you do believe in. Joseph felt that strongly about the community he was a part of. 
I've got to tell you, I serve on a ministry board where I deal with the compensation of the executive director of the organization. We uh, recently installed a new person in that position, a new executive director, and he was actually very reluctant to accept the pay package that we were rightfully offering to him. And he finally said to me, you know, Jeff, I'll accept this on one condition, that I can designate the difference between what I'm making now and what you're willing to pay me if I could give all of that to another Christian organization, Christian ministry that I believe in. Now, I was taken aback. I don't know what to do with that kind of generosity. In fact, I thought, you know, he's a much better man than I am. And I wish I would be more like that. The community at Acts is deeply moved by Joseph. You know, they say, Joseph, well, that's just not the right name for this guy. Let's call him Barnabas, son of encouragement. Now, I know this in ministry. I've been called the son of something else. I won't go there. But they call Barnabas the son of encouragement. And from then on, whenever he hears his name, he thinks, you know, that's who I am. That's who I want to be. And you begin to see what happens. He encourages the community, and the community encourages him. What a picture of how we need each other. What should happen in this community is that we speak life into one another. Now, we don't see Barnabas again until Acts chapter 9. Now, you've heard this name. There's a man named Saul. He has been, in fact, terrorizing the followers of Jesus. The Bible says, now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. If you know any of Saul's story at this point, he's not a nice person. He hates Christians. But something happens to Saul, doesn't it? Saul meets Jesus in dramatic fashion on the road to Damascus. Saul decides, I want to follow Jesus. He becomes a believer. There's just one problem. When he comes back to Jerusalem, all the disciples are afraid of him. They don't believe that he's really a disciple. They think something deceptive's going on. They feel like the tables might get turned. This is some kind of catfish or going on. Whatever it is, we don't want to take a risk. How do we really know if this conversion is legit? No one was willing to touch Saul with a 10-foot pole. Years ago, uh, there was a famous commercial uh, called, uh, well, it was for Life Cereal. Some of you are old enough to remember this, and I'm showing my age here. I really hate being at the age of old people. I just haven't experienced that before. But some of you remember this. Mom wants to try to get two brothers to try a new cereal. And they begin to argue, I'm not going to try it. I don't want to try it. And then they look over and you see the young, you remember his name? Mikey. Mikey, of course, yeah. Let Mikey try it. He'll eat anything. And of course, he, he, he likes the cereal. Barnabas was the first century Mikey of his church. He says, I'll do it. I'll stand with Saul. Boy, balcony people, they give a wonderful gift. They believe that with God's help, people can really change. 
They believe by God's grace that people can be different, that, that, they're, that what a person was yesterday does not limit who they are today and who they may become tomorrow. And that is a fabulous gift. And so Barnabas is willing to take this risk on Saul and he becomes his friend and he gets to know him. He's just inclined to believe the best about people. He's willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. He, 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 he's there. And then Barnabas goes to the community and says, guys, I, 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 you're not going to believe this, but God is so good. Saul has really changed. He's a follower of Jesus. He met him. You can trust Saul. And so the community, boy, they trust Barnabas. They accept Saul, and Acts 9.28 says of Saul these words, and he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. Now think about this for a moment. What would have happened to Saul if he had not had a Barnabas? Well, the Bible says the church continued to grow. Now, friends, I need to go through this story very, very quickly, but a little later on, the church sends Barnabas to Antioch because the church is realizing that this gospel is for the Gentiles too. In Acts chapter 11, we read these words. Then when he, Barnabas, had come and witnessed the grace of God, he was seeing how God was changing lives, he rejoiced and began, notice this word, to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Barnabas sees it with his own eyes that boy this gospel is for the Gentiles too they can become believers and he realizes he needs help so who does Barnabas call well I've met a friend his name is Saul and no one is more Jewish than Saul no one is more educated than Saul and Barnabas says I think Saul can help these Gentiles and so from then on, Saul becomes known as Paul. Now, why is that? Because Saul was the Hebrew name. Paul is the Greek form, Greek or uh, Gentile version of the name. So from now on, it's Paul. Paul, of course, will become the greatest missionary the church has probably ever known in sharing the gospel to Gentiles like most of us in this room. And of course, Paul was pretty important. He changed the world. And how did it happen? He had a balcony person named Barnabas. Balcony people can see things that nobody else can see in others. You see, I need some people like that in my life who see the good in me when I don't see it. I need some people in my life who will say to me, Jeff, you can do it. It's going to be okay. I believe in you, even when I'm not so sure myself. That's why I want to ask you to do something this morning. And I want you to think and pray and consider this. Would you be willing to give us, as a church, one more hour? Would you be willing to take another step toward joining a, a growth group? We'll be talking about this in the coming weeks or joining one of our Bible studies where, where you put yourself intentionally where people are in your life who can call you up. Barnabas says to Paul, let's do ministry together. 
and they do. And as you read Acts, an interesting thing happens here. In the ancient world, generally, it's pretty significant, you know, to look at the order of names because it often indicates who is, who is more prominent, who is the leader. And for a whole year, when we read in Acts, it is Barnabas and Paul are teaching great numbers of people. Barnabas and Paul this, Barnabas and Paul that. But if you are a, a student of Acts, you'll notice that at some point there's a shift. Something happens, and so in Acts 13, verse 42, it suddenly reads, and just surprise if you're just a casual reader here, it suddenly says, and as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them. Did you see the shift? From now on, it's Paul and Barnabas. Now, from a human standpoint, that's terrible. The mission is a success, and Barnabas, you're not getting the credit. You're not getting top billing. You're, you're not getting the limelight. But Barnabas doesn't seem worried about that. He just loves developing greatness in others. Jesus said, you know, it's going to be that way. This little community that we're going to form together, the last will be first. And the people who are servants of all are really the great ones. It's not in clawing your way to the top for fame and recognition and money. Jesus says, no, my kingdom's going to look different than that. We're, we're going to be about forming communities where we build each other up and we care for one another and rejoice when others succeed. And so Barnabas is the epitome of this kingdom kind of guy. He, he's a balcony person. Through him, up there is coming down here. So Paul and, and Barnabas would often travel with other folks to assist them in their mission and their work and ministry. This is a part of who Barnabas is. We've seen that already. But it's interesting. One of the people he traveled with was a young man named John Mark. A lot of times you just know him as Mark. We, we see a brief glimpse of him. Now, keep following me here. But we see a brief glimpse of him in the Gospel of Mark, which, by the way, he ends up most likely writing but there's this interesting story almost out of nowhere where there's a young man who at a key point just before Jesus was crucified becomes afraid and he runs away and he deserts Jesus. It, it's fascinating. He runs and he leaves his cloak behind. He's naked. It's, it's almost comical if it wasn't so serious. But most people read that and they think it was Mark inserting himself, telling his own part of the story in the gospel. So think about that. Our first introduction of Mark isn't a positive one. However, he joins the church. He's a believer. He ends up traveling with Paul and Barnabas to help them for a while. But we're told in the midst of that that John Mark decides to leave them suddenly. We're not quite sure why, but suddenly he leaves again. Now listen what we find in Acts 15. This is what the Bible says, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. 
And Barnabas, look at Barnabas, he was desirous of taking John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So what's happening here? Barnabas says, we got to take Mark. Paul said, no way, that guy's a loser. He'll desert you at the, at, at the drop of a hat. Now, I can imagine, Paul is a pretty formidable guy, and to confront Paul had to take some spine. But Barnabas, I can imagine him saying, hey, Paul, wait a second here. You know in Jerusalem, do you remember that when nobody would touch you because of all the things that you did? Who gave you a second chance? And now you're telling me that we can't afford to give Mark another chance? This, this aggravation gets so sharp and testy that there's a division. And Barnabas goes this way, and Paul goes that way. Paul ends up taking Silas. Who does Barnabas take? Mark. Now, that's pretty sharp, pretty disappointing. Very real, isn't it? The Bible doesn't say that one was wrong or the other was right. doesn't go there. But I would like to tell you the rest of the story. I'll say this is uh, fascinating to me, but this is what Paul writes in part of his letter near the end of his days. He says in his letter to Timothy, these words, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is helpful in my ministry. Paul came around. Turns out maybe Barnabas was right. Barnabas didn't give up on John Mark. And by the way, Mark did something pretty special. He gave us the gospel, probably the first gospel that was written. It was certainly used by Luke and Matthew as some of the source material for that gospel. What if Barnabas had given up on Mark? I'll never forget the day at Asbury College that I was walking outside of the cafeteria when Prof. Lauder came alongside of me. Prof. was the best preacher that I'd ever heard. I really admired him from a distance, but he had heard me speak a couple of times in a couple of different situations, and he said, Jeff, uh, how would you like to come alongside of me and be my assistant pastor at New Hope in New Washington, Indiana? It's going to cost you. It's a couple hours away every weekend. We'll have to work hard, but I think you'd make a great preacher someday. Someday I'm going to make it and be a great preacher. But those words, they've stuck with me all these years. But this is what we see over and over again in the New Testament. Encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, what happens is when we are not encouraged, when those tanks don't get filled up, sin starts to look good. But when someone is there saying, I believe in you, I trust you, I know you can do it, you can make it, you begin to make the right decisions. You don't have to yield to temptation. 
because Jesus loves you and so do I. God is with you and I'm here to be the messenger of that. Paul says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are all doing. Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us, not let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together is, is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, one of the things we have to do when we come into this place is take some time and encourage our brothers and sisters if we're not doing that, if we slide in and we slide out, we're missing something of what God intends for his community to be. You see how important it is that we're together? You see how important it is that we work at encouraging one another and designing opportunities for that to happen? That's why we're going to talk about the importance of, of being a part of a growth group in the coming weeks or becoming a part of one of our Bible studies just so we can be together and pray for one another and hear each other's burdens and grow in faith. But I also want to tell you this. It's great to have balcony people in our lives, but the main person who wants to be in your balcony cheering you on is Jesus Christ himself. Listen, if you've never asked him to be in your life, your friend. This morning is a great morning to confess your sin and say, Lord, I, I know I need a savior. I need someone in my life who builds me up instead of tears me down. He will run the race with you. He will be with you. He will be your savior and friend. And because he loves you so much, he's, he's designed the gift of the church to be a gift to you. And so... Some people say, well, I can run this race all by myself, okay. I'm fine. And maybe you can, I don't know. But someone needs you to encourage them. Someone needs you. What was Barnabas's funeral like? Have you ever thought about that? Imagine Paul, the apostle, standing up and saying, Everyone knows him. He's a great teacher. He says, you know, I persecuted the church. I put followers of Jesus to death and in prison. Nobody trusted me but Barnabas. He put his arm around me. He said, I'll vouch for him. I'm here because of Barnabas. John Mark, he stood up. He wrote the Gospel of Mark. He's famous too by now. And he says, you know, the truth was I was a quitter pretty well known for being a quitter. I had run away from Jesus. I ran away from ministry, but Barnabas wouldn't give up on me. I don't know why, but he said, I'll vouch for him. I'll stand for him. I'm here because of Barnabas. A Greek guy gets up. I, I didn't know God, but Barnabas said, Jesus came for someone like me, and he put his arm around me, and he said, I'll vouch for him. I believe in him. I'm here today. Because Barnabas, a poor widow, stands up 
I lost everything when my husband died. I had young children, had no income. I didn't know if I would make it, but Barnabas had some property and he sold some of that so I could have something to share with my children. I'm here today because of Barnabas. Now that's a funeral. He didn't try to be great. He just called out greatness in others. And so we have the New Testament this morning, over half of the New Testament, written by people. We never got a word from Barnabas written, but we have over half of the New Testament written by people because there was one man who stood in the balcony and said, you keep going, you can do it, you can do it. And in the kingdom, turns out that's what greatness looks like. It's something that God does to you when you're looking the other way because you don't care about yourself. You're poured out for the benefit of others. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this message to be a little bit troubling to me. It's encouraging, but am I a balcony person or a basement person? Holy Spirit, moving me in such a way that I will assume the best about my brothers and sisters. I guess it's time to pray. Let's do that. That's the, you know, that's the sign. When the, when the sound guy says it's time to pray, you, you, you pray. Let's go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you. You are so good. You are so kind. You want to encourage your people. And you've given us one another to do that. May we stand up faithfully for that cause. May we, Lord, look at each other through kind and patient and encouraging eyes. May we lift each other up. May we all be friends to one another to call out the best in each other that your church might truly be great. We do this, Lord, because that's what we believe Jesus did over and over again. We look at those ragtag disciples We think about, Lord, what you did through them and in them. We look at the story of Barnabas and Paul and John Mark. And then, Lord, I think about my own story and how, oh God, so many times in my life, you brought someone just the right time. I pray I might be that to someone else because of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.